0: Well hello everyone and welcome to the Speak Up podcast with Laura Camacho where we talk about the the conversations that you want to have to move your career forward. Like we're in our living room having a nice cup of tea or a cup of coffee and having a little chat with someone and and today we have a special guest from across the pond, uh, Mr. Chris Finning is a husband, father, author, and communications instructor. Is a man after my own heart. I really like his book. He's uh, like, we do actually quite similar work. He works on improving communication between IT and business teams, which we all know there's a lot of work there, and has recently put out an award-winning book called The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results what could be better and it's it is short it is to the point and he gives very specific advice and I and I really like that Um, and he works with startups to the top companies uh, both in the United States and Europe and around the world and he has a, a lovely wife and daughter how old is your little girl
1: she's four just four
0: so she's asking why about everything, right?
1: She she does, but she never says the word why. She always asks, what is that? What does it do? How does that work? She's incredibly inquisitive.
0: <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> well, maybe she's um, kind of innovating and not using the word why, but talking around it. Maybe she's picked up some things from her dad about being a good communicator. So possibly. What, yeah, so welcome to the Speak Up podcast, and I know that you were living in the in the United States uh, for a while, and you recently left, and and uh, so I like to make plans, and I know Chris does too. Chris had a really good plan for his family uh, last January, February, and tell us what happened with your plan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like a lot of people's plans in 2020, it did not go. Uh, <laughs> to plan. In fact, it, it didn't really go anywhere at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we can all relate to that. So we're going to hear Chris's version. What happened?
1: So, the beginning of 2020, my wife and I decided that we were going to take a sabbatical. In fact, we made that choice about six months previously. We wanted to travel with our daughter before she was school age. But we had between sort of six and nine months worth of travel planned, a lot of it around the United States where we were living at the time. We had a big travel trailer, we were gonna go on a national parks tour. And my wife and I both handed our notice in on our jobs and then COVID and the pandemic really blew up. And our our giving of notice was non-reversible. Once we'd done it, we couldn't take it back. (laughs) We were suddenly on a path with no ability to travel. And our year of sabbatical ended up being a very close-knit family experience. Uh, two of us and our our three-year-old daughter, and our travel plans just disappeared. We managed to get a few weeks' travel, and then we ended up coming back to the UK and going into quarantine and then bouncing between Airbnbs while we waited for a start date on my wife's new job. And 2020 was was the year of uh, 12 months and 12 different houses,
0: That does take the cake as far as stories. I've heard a lot, but that's a pretty uh, disruptive story there. Yeah, just not one, but two people resigning from their jobs at the same time, right before this thing hit. Wow. Well, tell us about your path to becoming a communications instructor and trainer. You know, I. People have come to this crazy job so many different ways or vocation, really. I think it's a vocation. It's a calling. So tell me your story about that.
1: It's I have to agree. It absolutely is a calling. And it's one that I didn't expect to find myself in. I didn't fall into this job, but I came about it in a way that surprised me and a lot of my friends and family. So I'm an engineer by training and through my entire career, I've been in Engineering, defense, telecoms companies in roles that bridged the gap between the technical teams and the business teams. So I was using my, my engineering technical background, but speaking the business language. And that ended up being a, a technical project manager role that it evolved into. I worked across Europe, I worked in the Mid, uh, Far East, I was about to say the Middle East. I, I had a couple of clients in the Middle East, the Far East, and in America. And my job always involved running projects across multiple time zones, different countries, different teams in large organizations, or between companies. And all of that meant a pretty consistently intense exposure to different types and styles of communication. And my career evolved as a project manager, I ended up directing a project office, and I was put in an executive development scheme. And part of that executive development scheme included a course from Stanford University called Designing Your Life. And it's an absolutely fantastic course, helping people find what would bring them the most joy and happiness in terms of work. And unfortunately for my then employer who'd paid for me to go on this course, I discovered within a couple of days of starting that course that I didn't want to work in that industry or in that job anymore because it wasn't um, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't bringing me the level of joy that these other possibilities that came up, the ideas that came out through this course, my eyes had been opened to other possibilities for working. So I had a a pretty big aha moment for what it it was that I wanted. And it came at the same time as a encouragement from friends, family, and colleagues, because I'd been consistently asked to train people on communication in my team, in my department, and then the department down the hall, and then some people who'd heard about what I was doing. And this snowballed, and I ended up teaching a 300-person department on some of the concepts that are in, in my book. And leaving that event, a number of people said, you should do this as your job. And getting that very positive, encouraging feedback at the same time as having this course from Stanford opened right. my eyes to the possibilities those two things came together and i thought let's give this a go and i have the most supportive wife who said if you're going to do it go all in don't don't go half measures and so we decided we'd take the year sabbatical and then i would take everything i'd done all of the courses presentations topics and so on and make that transition from part time communications helper sometime instructor in an occasional coach one on one often in teams and then go full-time. And that's also what the 2020 plan was. (laughs) And of course-
0: Oh my gosh. That is too funny. Yeah, engineers, I work with engineers too. And I think of them as um, being trained in solving problems and dealing with constraints, but it seems like they don't get training in how to talk about their work to uh, other stakeholders. Do you find that to be the case?
1: Oh, absolutely yes. There's in my own engineering degree, I don't recall there being any communications training, and in fact, I, this is a topic that I'm I'm quite keen on exploring and helping universities, particularly on technical courses, improving and just adding some communications training. I did did a review of the 2020 computer science courses at the top ten American and top ten UK universities. Mm-hmm. Less than one percent of the modules available are communications related and that one percent was optional. Oh
0: wow, that was good research though that you did. Well imagine if you had you saw and you felt and, and you worked with these problems of different stakeholders, different companies, different time zones. So how do you you know what What is your take on what it takes to be successfully communicating while working from home across different teams? Because I think the structures in companies are also more fluid and, and people are having like an increased number of messages they have to get out more audiences and maybe less clarity sometimes. Like what, from your point of view, I would like to hear, you know, what, what you're seeing and what you're recommending.
1: Uh, Yeah, and now obviously work from home and remote communication is the topic in the communication world at the moment. And I, I have to start with a confession. I didn't really understand why it was such an important topic when COVID blew up. Now, the reason being, and this is for a little bit of context, is I'd worked at home for years before COVID. And my entire career has been spent working with remote teams, being based in the UK, working with people in France, Romania, Taiwan, and the US all at the same time. So my career was based on remote working and it was just normal, natural, everyday things for me. So when there were suddenly all of these uh, blog posts and interviews and news articles about the strain of communicating and working from home, I was a little bemused as to why it was so difficult. Then I engaged my brain and and realized that normal for me wasn't normal for everyone. And once I'd got over that fairly obvious hurdle, I then really appreciated what I'd been exposed to, which was 20 years of learning how to communicate remotely.
0: That's right. And and were that when you were doing that, were the people that you were working with also were working remotely or it was you at home and them in offices?
1: A blend. So some of my some of the time I would be in an office with project teams that I was either part of or managing and our stakeholders could be down the hall, down the stairs or on the other side of the country. In other cases, it was me at home Mm -hmm. and my stakeholders in multiple different countries around the world. And sometimes we'd all be in a room and there'd be one person on the phone. So I've really had exposure to multiple different flavors of remote working and and being in a blended team. And to to come back to the original question of what's my advice for this, Mm -hmm. it's I always considered that everyone was in the same room, whether you were on the phone or physically in front of me. I had to make the effort to engage everybody as though they were there in the room. And. The way that that becomes difficult, particularly if you've got a blend of some people in the room with you or now some people on the screen on Zoom and some just on audio, I created an avatar of that person in my mind. But because I didn't see their body language and I couldn't see whether they were getting a point or buying in or had a question, I would have to do extra prompts for those people to, to ask, to clarify, to make sure that I was taking the effort to include them. And the the fortunate thing for all of us were, our teams were so used to doing that, that there weren't any obvious points of failure. It wasn't like there was just one person at home and it was a random occurrence, so they got forgotten about. There was a pretty good sense of inclusion in most of the companies that I, I worked for and with.
0: For many years before, not working from home, but just companies, as you know, having different locations, What I observed was that the further away from the home or where the decisions were being made, that people tended to feel like nobody tells me anything or feel uh, left out. And then that can be magnified for some people while working for home. And what I find helpful to do what you said, to pretend like everybody is in the room, like how would you that's a really good way of visualizing it. Like, if we were in the same room, how would we be carrying on? But I like to think about it as having more structure, which should be a very engineering friendly term, like structuring in more interaction yeah. and getting your agenda more clear. And what, who, for every person that's there, like, what do you want from them? And what is your purpose? Don't you think that's helpful?
1: Yes, it, it really is. Uh, because you, you can't have a drop-in, or it's, it's harder to have a casual drop-in sofa conversation on Zoom. We're, we're finding ways to do it as, as a society. We're finding ways to socialize through yeah. the, the video tools, but it's not the same. One of the reasons that the structure worked for us is being either technical companies or very projectized organizations, there was always a call for good agendas, know your point, make sure you're making the best use of people's time. Don't have 35 people on a meeting if you only need five. So all of those things were baked in. Not saying we got it right all the time. But, yes. but, I mean, there, was, there were definitely wasted time, dollars, and, and so on in uh, in those meetings. But overall, it, there was a pretty good awareness of not only inclusion, but having to have efficient sessions.
0: Yes, that's very good. Well, you must have some stories, being an engineer and working in IT, of of how this quality, like just before we got on the call, I was coaching someone from Romania, actually. You mentioned having worked with Romanians. And she's now with a tech company in California. And she was uh, being perceived as like a very negative person because she was always focused on the problems and not selling, you know, like selling herself or talking about the wins because she was, know in her way of thinking like more focused on her you know getting the problem solved the most efficient way possible versus building relationships and uh you know sharing the, the the wins or the positive things so do you have any stories or observations about how having that um lack of a skill of building the relationships and really selling yourself can hold a person back, a really strong technical person back in a career success?
1: That's a, that's a great question. So I'm, I just wanted to make sure I heard the question right. It is this about the remote side and how that can hold back career or about some of the te- challenges that more technically trained people may have? Option B. Okay, option B, thank you. Um, so technical people, and career promotion and communication is it's the topic that I want to talk about. So I'm going to try I'm and not, not run forever on, on this. And we've already touched on part of this where the training that technical, technical degrees provide focus on the technical content. And there's an enormous amount of ever-changing material. Computer science degrees need to be updated every year or two because or even sooner than that, even more frequently than that, because the technology is changing. Five years ago, artificial intelligence wasn't part of a course, but it, it has to be now. Otherwise, the computer science course is obsolete. And this is partly why technology courses are and, and university degrees are difficult to fit in the communications because there's so much else that changes there are very few other degrees that have the level of change over time that a technical course has. If you're doing a, a, a degree in the language, language doesn't evolve every six months.
0: Right. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that, but it's absolutely true. And even math, you know, I, I don't know if that's yeah, the- developed this- as my, the fundamentals of, of
1: maths stay the, stay the mm. same. The cutting edge of maths is will change, but that's postgraduate doctoral study. But the core content of t- technology degrees, particularly around computing, will change every few years and, and often they will change sooner. So universities have to deal with that. And the volume of material that people need to learn is is enormous, just like medicine. Medicine is a good parallel because there are constantly new techniques and you have to learn a lot. They don't teach a lot of communication in medicine either. No, There's some yeah. of interaction, but but not a lot of communication courses. So that's the core of what I believe is, is a significant reason why we have this belief that technical people can't communicate. And they can, they just haven't had the training people who go into business or marketing or sales, get exposure to communications training far more than the technical teams.
0: I always tell my technical clients, you've learned the hard part, now let's learn the communication, the fun part.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, when when are we gonna build that in? If it's not done through school, which we don't teach communication at school, it's not done through university, and then they go into a company and they're applying their technical skills, is it on the company to train? employee or is it on the employee to develop for themselves which also software developers spend a lot of their spare time keeping up with the advances in their own technology as well so they learn a lot outside of work hours
0: i did not know that i did not know that i'm going to be even nicer to my software engineer clients (laughs) i really did not know that
1: Well, I tell you what, then my work here is done because I've convinced <laughs> one person of some of some of the challenges. With that as the background, the when when whether it's a software developer, an engineer, a mechanic, whatever the field of the technology specialist, they've got all of that to overcome with communication. And then they have to communicate incredibly complex things in a non-complex way. And that is something that nobody can do without being taught. It is a learned skill. As a child, you don't get taught how to make complex things simple. You get taught how to converse socially. In school, you get taught how to converse socially and receive information and answer questions. We don't have this great exposure to how to take something complex, summarize it and make it so that other people can understand. And people in technical roles have the most complex things to then translate in a way that makes sense to any audience, whether it's the salesperson or accounting or marketing or the project team or whomever.
0: That's so insightful because then the technical person, in trying to explain, as I call it, to a golden retriever level, like, you know, just get to somebody who has no idea. And then that sales or marketing or CEO gets so impatient because it's taking so long and they're going into so many details. And you know that's why there's this uh, conundrum, like I'm, I'm sure you're here, how much detail? How can I explain this so they understand when they don't have the patience for me to really explain how it works? I have a really a whole new understanding of the complexity of the problem.
1: It is, it, you've just articulated what the, the classic scenario of just get to the point and can you just, just tell me already what it is that you want me to say? And the person is trying their very best, but they don't have the tools or techniques. And none of us, very, very few people have been trained in how to be succinct. It's one of, it's one of my favorite catchphrase, catchphrase comments is that almost everybody's heard the advice you should be clear and concise. Yep. Has anyone ever told you how?
0: Nope. <laughs> and if you Google it, you'll get <laughs> a bunch of different stuff, but you don't really know what to go with actually.
1: Exactly. Being clear and concise is a goal. It's an aspiration. It's a very good goal, but that's the advice we give people and we don't give them a clear structure and engineers, not just engineers, actually, I'm going to make a, a broader statement. Most people, many people like having a step-by-step process. Do A followed by B followed by C and you'll get the result. And that's why I wrote my book. That's oh, wow. the problem I wanted to solve. And that's what the book is about.
0: It's And it's, and it's very good, very clear. Um, so, so why don't you tell us a little bit, give us a little preview um, about, setting up a conversation for success. You talk about the first minute being so important. And one thing that I emphasize with uh, clients today is to think of everybody as being ADHD, super distracted, overwhelmed, and tired. So that's your audience.
1: Yes. So why is the first minute important? It sets the foundation for the rest of the discussion. Whether you're only gonna have a discussion that's two minutes long or whether you're gonna have a discussion that's an hour long, the first minute is like laying the foundation. And you you mentioned one of the techniques, which is framing. There are two techniques that that really make the first minute successful. One is framing and the other is then being able to provide a structured summary where you can take the complex topic and make it simple. But I wanna start with framing because if, if people listening to this podcast take away one thing, this could really change the way you start conversations at work.
0: Listen up, everybody. This is going to be very... I'm taking notes. All right, lay it on
1: (laughs) I've set the bar pretty high for myself now. So when we start a conversation, there are three things the audience needs to be able to make sense of what's coming. And by framing the conversation, you can provide three pieces of information. Context, intent and a key message. Context is the topic you want to talk about. So of all the possible topics in the known universe, you have one in your head that you want to talk about. And I guarantee it is not in the head of the person you're about to talk to. Even if they sit on the desk next to you and you're working on the same project and you've just come out of the same meeting, their head might be in a budget report they've got to do, picking up the kids, what are they going to have for lunch? They're thinking about anything other than the topic that you want to talk about. So the first thing we should do is provide context. It's very simple. Name the project, name the task. Say, hey, I want to talk about lunch. I want to talk about budget. I want to talk about the sales meeting we had with Sue. Use a couple of words, no more than five, and provide context. That means the person you're talking to then knows, okay, so we're talking about that. Great. It helps them focus and helps get all the other stuff out of their head. Once they know what the topic is, the second question we all have, whether we know it or not, is what do you want me to do with this stuff you're telling me? That's where intent comes in. Mm -hmm. So you've provided context. The next is what is your intent? What do you want the other person to do? Are you asking them a question? Do they have to give advice? Is this just gossip? Do they need to take an action? There's a whole bunch of uh, of good research into the workings of the brain. And I could go into that for a long time, but our brains process information differently based on what we're going to do with it. Yeah, I I went quite down a bit of a rabbit hole while researching for the book on on that topic. And until we know what we're doing with a piece of information, pretty much all we can think about is what am I meant to do with this? What am I meant to do with this? And it means we're not focusing on the information we're being given. We're trying to work out how to process it.
0: We're like the, like your daughter who's verbalizing, why are you telling me this or what is going on? But we, but we just, we're polite, quote unquote, polite. And so we're just wondering like, why the heck is he telling me this? And until yeah. that question is answered, we cannot really focus.
1: We can't focus, you're absolutely right. And it can be minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, why? What is it, what, what do you want from me? But we're polite and so we don't say that. So Take the guesswork out of it for your audience. Tell them the topic and then tell them what you want to do with the information. Hey, I need your advice. I need some help. Um, I've got an action for you. Whatever it is, and there, there are a few very simple statements you can make that just tell the other person what you expect or want them to do with that information. So you provided context. You've told them the intent. The next thing is to give them the key message, and that's the headline. That's the most important thing that you're going to talk about. And one of the things that's helped helped me work out how what is the key message? It's the thing that if you got interrupted the second after you'd said it, the person would still have a pretty good idea what it was you wanted to talk about.
0: Oh, that's very clever.
1: It's not the backstory, it's not the history, it's not the subplots, it's the headline. In in newspapers, in the media, if you're listening to the news, watching it on the TV, they lead with a headline that tells you taxes are going up, winter is coming, there was a car crash, babies have been born. That you get the key message, and then they expand it into the rest of the article. All right, the the takeaway. Right. It's it can be yeah, it can be the takeaway. Um, it is the yeah, it's the most important thing you want that other person to know. Again, in about ten words. It's just a headline. You don't get newspaper headlines that run on for three pages. You get a headline that's in bold and at the top. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So I can sit here and go, just give the key message. It's It's not the easiest thing to do. It does take practice. But if you start a conversation with that, if you frame a conversation with, here's the context, here's the intent, and here's the key message. Another way to think of that, here's the topic, here's what I want you to do with it, and here's the headline that other person is now focused on what you want to talk about. They might still have a couple of other bits in their heads, but for the most part, you've helped push all that other stuff out. You've answered the unanswered questions at the beginning, and then you're ready to have the conversation about your topic.
0: I love that. I love that. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, his book is called The First Minute, and he does have exercises and so many examples. I think that if this is something that... That you're really interested in you know mastering that that you would benefit from that so so let me ask you about verbal processors you know the people who think out loud are they able to use this uh same structure to keep from rambling too much when they're processing their ideas what do you think about that
1: they they are and it in a remarkably simple way if they apply it i i have oh, I am a verbal processor in, in part. I, I talk while I think and I do it out loud. And the way I've used this technique to help me and it's how I've taught my teams, people that have been around me and so on, is I actually say the words of that structure. I say, the context is this, my intent is this, my key message is this. That's how I started. Now I do it in my head because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't flow quite, quite as well. But for people starting out, if they're struggling to organize their ideas, use the framework. Say, what's the context? What's the topic? And whether you say it out loud or in your head, give yourself those labels. And that can help provide sort of an anchor to say, all right, now I need to just say something about the context. Then I need to say something about the intent. And it doesn't have to be perfect oratory. We're not looking for the wonderful poetic prose work conversations are functional and these techniques are functional so it doesn't matter if it's not pretty it can be clunky but if it's organized your audience is going to be just grateful for that
0: is that when we get a structure that we can use then that helps the brain to come to the message faster because after a while your brain will get used to okay now she wants the context now the intent now the key message and so it just becomes a ha- you know we know communication is so much habits and this is a new habit to develop but i think it it, it may be, it feel clunky at first but i do think that it ends up being a shortcut don't you think for
1: yes yes absolutely and as with anything if, it, if it's done with enough practice enough deliberate practice it becomes a learned skill.
0: Yes. Well, tell I know you work internationally and that's so exciting. So will this tool, this structure, context, intent, key message work with anybody in any language or does is, do you have to make adaptations? I was coaching someone in India and we were talking about adding personality and she was a little skittish about it. She was not sure if that would be culturally sound.
1: It's it's one of the challenges of being an instructor in this field in a global, truly global world where we can be working with people all around the world. Culture is very important. One of the things that I'm very fortunate about with these techniques is they are so fundamental to the the basics of communicating your topic that they don't get. they're, They're not impacted by cultural needs significantly. There are. Some areas, particularly in Asia, where there's a very specific way to deliver information, but even uh, even the clients I've had in Asia and in India have said that this has helped them organize their thoughts before delivering it in whatever the culturally appropriate, workplace-appropriate setting is. But because this is so – it's the first 15 seconds of the describing your topic, there's not a lot – that you need to pack into that, so it does. It does seem to work everywhere. And I, rather than just be saying that and believing that that's true, I did have a course running through last year, and I had uh, people from 102 different countries join that course and provide feedback on the tools, and that helped shape them a little bit for for the book. And there were no situations that were raised where this didn't provide some benefit, which was which was great. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this and they said it's like in maths where you boil things down to the simplest equation. It's very difficult to get it wrong when you've got it down to the the simplest level. And I'm fortunate in that I took a very small thing, one minute of conversations at work. And that's the the piece to focus on. It was was hard to get it wrong. And there did seem to be some universal truths in that. I do want to add the caveat that if anyone's listening to this and, and knows of a counter argument to that please get in touch because i'm always looking to find ways to make this more applicable and i definitely don't want to put something in someone's hands and say this is going to help if it's not so you know no way that this would really fall on its face please do do get in touch
0: in other words don't sue us
1: okay that too please don't do that either (laughs)
0: yeah well you know the way you put this together it does sound like a, an engineer derived solution it's very practical very structural broadly applicable and and i think i has. i think when people learn to communicate with more structure they also begin to think with more structure and that has other positive ramifications uh, for your career so this has been so cool you know there's uh, so many people that they may not work, they may not, not everybody who listens to this is an engineer, although a lot of them are, but also people in finance, project managers and product managers and program managers in tech companies who you know, they straddle that talking to techie people and clients and so many different stakeholders. I think this is so practical. That's really what I liked about your book is that you get a value in a short time and um, thank you for that. And as we're, we're running out of time for our uh, session today, what advice would you give people that you've learned in this year of being a communication specialist, used to be an engineer? Um, what, what is your take on having just better conversations, like the value of that other than the transmission value that you get your point across? and. Just t- you know, just tell me a little bit. Let's share a little bit of your thoughts about the world of communication.
1: Oh, that's a deep question. That is a deep question. Um, I could go in so many different directions. Uh, so I, I'm going to give an answer that's relevant to those who are coming into remote working. Okay. And one of the biggest tips that that I've either experience or have experienced and have seen others do is relax into it a little bit. There's a lot of pressure to get the communication right. And when we put the pressure on ourselves, we're only gonna make it harder. So relax into communicating on the phone, on email, on, on video, and it's okay to have your personality come through while you're working,
0: I love that. In fact, I've been told to relax many times. <laughs> Did my mom prompt you for that, or something? <laughs> Were you talking to my husband?
1: <laughs> I, I, I beat the fifth. <laughs> right.
0: Yes, it it does help to relax. You do your brain actually works better when you're more relaxed. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I feel like it's been shop talk uh, for me to get to talk to someone who shares such a similar point of view. Usually, uh, even though you're an engineer, for crying out loud. I'm not. I'm not.
1: I I was by training. See, anyone who who is an engineer listening to this is going to be going, no, he's not. He's not practicing engineering. He's not an engineer. So I will. I I'm an engineer by training. I've had uh, did work in that field, but over the years have moved across into the business side, project side, and now the communication side. So just want to, I don't want to be looking over my shoulder for, for the right. next months, people going, I'm an engineer.
0: So Chris is admitting that he is no longer an engineer, all right? So we we, we do have that clear, but he used to be one and and uh, got a lot of valuable experience for that. So this has been so much fun. I hope maybe sometime you'll come over. We'll get to do, do another one in person. That would be fun. And um, I wish you all the best with your new location. Uh, Chris is now in Amsterdam. He's living without furniture temporarily with his family, which you know is a lot of fun. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you later. Bye bye. Thank
1: you, Laura. Thank you. Bye.